Anishutes, Chapter 10 A thin spit of snow fell light from the gray skies. We stretched out in our winter physical training uniforms on an inch of snow that coated the asphalt. The bend and reach, called the sergeant in front of the formation. We stretched our arms high above our heads, then thrust them down to our ankles in cadence. One, two, three... PT uniforms didn't have pockets, so I kept the uncomfortable roughness of Anna's toe tag slash ID tag in my sock. I took it everywhere now in the plastic baggie that also had the photocopy of her terrifying portrait. When I first got to Germany, I looked around at the other guys in my platoon as we exercised, wondering what they thought about so early in the morning, wondering what made them keep doing this every day for three to six years. Pointless, endless monotony. If you asked them why, which I had, they never said it was to defend freedom or for my country. It was like they had no idea there was anything else, no other way to make a living. As we lay in the snow, flopping our arms and legs like an oddly synchronized school of beached fish, I didn't refer to my normal catalog of happy thoughts I had used to get me through things like this. The store of pleasant memories had gotten smaller and less vivid as the time went by. Now, even my shrinking account of happy Anna thoughts was set aside. It had been a week or two since I'd found the clinic in the basement, and nothing was the same. I peeked up from where I flopped in the snow and saw the old tracked vehicle that rolled on the snowy lane to our left. I knew its tracks wouldn't leave the telltale dips and ridges in its wake on the snow it should have. The column of troops marching behind it left no footprints either. They wore high black boots and long gray coats that went down to their shins, carrying rifles, though a few had submachine guns slung down to their abdomens. Their heads bobbed slightly under the weight of their steel pot helmets. They all had a thick leather belt over their winter coats and shiny buckles I'd seen at flea markets downtown, bearing the phrase, Gott mit uns, meaning God with us. Some of them had wooden-handled potato masher grenades tucked into their belts. Breath should have plumed from their mouths beneath those helmets. They should have made the familiar crunch of boots on snow. You should have smelled the stink of cigarettes some of them were smoking in formation. But it wasn't the case. They rolled right along down the narrow lane between the high trees, marching off to fight some battle that had happened a long time ago, and I wished so badly I could go with them. We made a token effort to do some wind sprints over the icy ground, then they finally dismissed us. After getting cleaned up, I stole an apple from the cafeteria and charged down the steps of the barracks basement. I had discreetly shoved the wad of cardboard into the door catch of the storage room we'd finished cleaning out. I slid the wall locker aside and shot down the rabbit hole pulling the big steel door closed behind me. This was something I was afraid to do at first, worried that the old behemoth might lock me down there, but now I didn't care. The scatter blast of toe tags and paperwork that had been on the floor upon my first arrival had been cleaned up. Ditto most of the floor, too. I needed to make this place shine. The gurney and wheelchairs I had found had all been uprighted and scrubbed down with a yellow and green scotch-bright sponge, then orderly placed in a storage room by the exam room. I walked into the office that I had learned, thanks to a discarded nameplate on the floor, had once been the workspace of Dr. Heinz Holtz, who had been working there until, well, that was one thing I was trying to find out. I hunkered down in the doctor's chair and placed my looted cafeteria apple on his desk. His old chair was heavy and wooden, with leather padding tacked to it, not unlike the exam chair which I had finally overcome my squeamishness about, and Mr. Cleaned into mint condition. Get WD-40, I thought to myself as the chair's mean old spring squeaked loudly underneath me. I rocked my hips and kicked against the desk, listening to the unpleasant screeching of the wheels as I sailed backward against the wall. When was the last time they had made that sound? Did the good doctor hear that sound too? Did his staff? Anna? 
Maybe I wouldn't fix it after all. I crab-walked the chair back to the desk and opened my laptop. It clicked on and then began to make its mechanical whirring in the silence. Some sounds, like the horrible squealing noise of the chair wheels, gave no offense in this small space. But others, like the humming of my hard drive or the vibrating of my cell phone, were a sacrilege in the quiet place. Sounds that seemed unholy and unwelcomed in the catacombs of an older way of life. I'd covered the one milky, dirty old window with some black construction paper a while ago so that I could work in the basement all night and not be given away by the portable lamps that I had brought down. I spent a lot more time than I should have staring at those crude, mean little metal instruments I had found on the floor of the exam room. Originally, I just scooped them into a pail, but now I set them out one by one, side by side, as I bathed each one with rags and alcohol. There was the tonsil speculum that looked like a pistol, and a long, sharp, ice-pick-looking device craving to crack the thin membrane in someone's ocular cavity and sever their neurons. I had three jars of repatriated tongue depressors gleaned and cleaned from the floor of another room. Something had possessed me to buy a bag of cotton swabs from the post-exchange and fill another old jar with them. I'll have to let them know I paid for it with my own money, I thought. It didn't occur to me, though, to ask who I was thinking of. A lot of things had started to not make sense to me, but somehow that didn't bother me as long as I kept going. I pulled up the first page of typewritten German I had rescued from the floor and set it in the scanning bed. With a series of clicks, I told the computer to do its thing, and the slow, low electric groaning of the cheap scanner began. Again, I felt like these new and unnatural sounds in the quiet space were unwelcome to something here. Sometimes I'd even look up and think I saw piercing eyes staring at me from the corners or the shadows. But I had to get this done. I didn't speak German well, but the translation software I had ordered was en route via Amazon from the States. Then I could finally read what all of these documents I kept finding on the floor were saying. That was how it started. Snoop through the documents and ledgers for a scrap of Anna's life, a way to know a little more about her. However, as my time in the basement continued, I kept getting sidetracked. The office was looking better and better each day as the files and the detritus of loose papers I had found were now either in neat piles or all going inside an old cardboard, already scanned box I had in the corner. The medical texts and other assorted books had been shelved. The machine finished its scan, and I slid the yellowed old paper into the box. Then I began a visual scan for Anna, or shoots, on the next page in the pile. I loved looking at the old documents with their eagle standing proud, firmly clutching the swastika on the letterhead. At first, seeing such a stark and well-preserved piece of the past frightened me. A Nazi had held the same document up to the same light, sitting in the same chair, perhaps lifting his spectacles to check for typos. The freaky letterhead was like a tack-sharp reminder of a history that couldn't be whited out entirely. I couldn't help but feel that the indecipherable words reeked of purpose and an intent that our army had lost, an exactness and precision we would never see. As the scanner started a fresh page, I set a beaker on the old hot plate that still worked and began to heat up some coffee. I never drank coffee before, and now I couldn't get enough. I stared at the framed photos I had found. One was of a pretty woman, with big hair and lots of makeup standing by an ancient Mercedes. A huge St. Bernard sat on its haunches at her heels. I checked the photo several times for names or dates on the back, which it didn't have. I had to wonder, though, if this photo found on the floor of the old doc's office was his wife. It made an odd juxtaposition. The man, who, according to Springsteen's dreams, might have done some very heinous things down here, also had an attractive wife at home and a lovable dog. Things that normal people had. I'd put the photo on his desk where I could stare at it while I worked, as I imagined he had done. 
She really was pretty. Another photo I found showed what looked like a medical staff flanked by perhaps regular soldiers, all standing outside of the barracks wearing their finest suits and uniforms. Mostly they were men, but some women too. The men all looked so dour and serious in their dark wool and long coats. I had trawled through the internet for similar pictures, wondering if I could match up units or time frames. But so far, I had little luck other than to ascertain that the women were in fact probably nurses, given how things were at the time. They all looked serious and squared away, medical officers of the jack-booted and iron-helmeted, ready. I took a long sip of the very black, very pungent coffee and slid another page into the scanner. I was starting to lose circulation in my legs on the old chair, so I stood up and began to look for yet another corner of the clinic that needed squaring away. There were more than a few bottles of pills and decanters that still needed to be sorted and shelved. I strolled to the end of the hall and grabbed at the end of a canvas tarpaulin. I'd gotten used to handling dusty rags and garbage used for who knew what. It didn't bother me anymore. I started to wind it into a bundle for disposal when I saw something that surprised me. The long white belt that was threaded through its loops. A vague recognition oozed through my mind. A bathrobe? I stopped and held it up in the dim light. I found the collar and turned it to face me. Even as I did, my heart leapt with anticipation. Dr. Holtz was embroidered on the left breast. I held the dusty old garment out for me by the shoulders. The embroidery was so crisp. Had she done it? The woman with the dog and Mercedes? I ran my pointer finger over the letters, feeling the threads between them. My skin tingled as if the garment was charged with some special static only I was supposed to feel. Without thinking, I slid the dank, dirty old smock over my shoulders. Then I reached down and tied the belt over me. I didn't like how it smelled. But just the same, there was something about having it on me. I re-entered my office and stared at the laptop whirring and flashing on the desk. I slowly walked around it and dragged the old Remington typewriter off a high shelf. Opening the groaning wooden side drawer of the desk, I pulled out some of the blank sheets of paper I'd found with the eagle and swastika letterhead. I fed it upside down and backwards into the cracked rubber rollers of the Remington. I was born well even after the era of electronic typewriters, but somehow it all fit. It all made sense, like muscle memory, a rubbing an old familiar wound. I twisted the knob until the eagle and emblem appeared right side up before my eyes, and then scrolled the paper all the way up to the yellow, empty space. I stared at it for a while, and then set my fingers on the keys, and with a joint jarring effort, depressed the stubborn old buttons. The arms of the little letters swung up and struck hard against the dusty old black ribbon, driving a powdery ink into their indentations. H-E-L-L-O, Dr. Holtz. I stopped and stared at the printed page. I twisted the knob until the rollers ejected my work. I liked how the keystrokes had indented it so deeply, scarring it with sooty old ink. The depressions triggered something in my mind, and I reached back into the side drawer and pulled out a heavy metal embosser I'd found when I first started to clean up. I fed the edge of the page into its mouth and squeezed down on the handles, enjoying the satisfying paper crunch sound. I took a pen from my pocket and signed the page, Dr. Heinz Holtz. The signature looked nothing like my own. I just wanted to thank you for listening. I hope that you like the story. Right now, this podcast is available on YouTube. It's available on Podbean, Stitcher, and iTunes. So if you're not already listening to the story in your preferred format, please look at the links below and find what you need. If you go onto Facebook and do a search for Keystrokes Amid Cobwebs, you can find our Facebook page and learn more about the show and also potential future shows. So please get on there so we can become friends.
And finally, I'm really looking for feedback. Do you like the story? Do you hate it? What are some things you enjoyed or things you would change? Um, if you can, please give me an email at keystrokesamidthecobwebs at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Thank you.